This week, Patty Harrington from Forrester Research is with us to discuss enterprise browsers. Then Sean Metcalf from Trimark joins us to talk about Microsoft identity security issues. Finally, in the enterprise security news, funding rounds are back. We've got a bunch of them this week. Bitwarden raises $100 million for password management. Simulate raises $70 million for something I, I guess we're not calling Bass anymore. And a ton more Series A, Series B, and seed announcements from vendors just coming out of stealth. Ethereum's merge completes and moves to proof of stake. Some updates on the Twitter apocalypse, the latest and annoying buzzword innovation, and some cyber insurance trends that I promise are more interesting than I just made that, that sound. All that and more on this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we talk security vendors and aren't afraid to name names. It's Enterprise Security Weekly. The shift to remote and hybrid work over the past two years has accelerated application development on cloud infrastructure. However, securing these new assets has lagged behind. Qualys CloudView, the next generation of cloud security posture management, delivers an end-to-end multi-cloud security and compliance solution encompassing the entire application lifecycle from build to runtime. CloudView enables enterprises to assess their cloud security and compliance posture, identify risks and gaps, auto-remediate issues, proactively enforce best practices and prove compliance in audits rapidly and efficiently. Identify your most vulnerable cloud assets by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash Qualys. Customers want fast and frictionless digital experiences, yet also expect protection against breaches, privacy violations, and fraud. Drive engagement by optimizing security and convenience to attract and retain customers. Use the PingOne cloud platform to build, test, and optimize digital experiences. The no-code orchestration engine weaves together authentication, user management, and MFA, all of which can enhance security, drive engagement, and boost revenues. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash ping identity to learn more. Welcome to Enterprise Security Weekly and happy National Pawpaw Day. Not, not your grandfather, the fruit. This is episode 288 recorded on Thursday, September 15th, 2022. I'm your host, Adrian Sanabria, and joining me is the master of marketing, the mayor of mayhem, Tyler Shields. How are you, Tyler? Hey, hey, I've never heard of that fruit in my entire life. Have you ever had it? I had it for the first time on Tuesday. And so it kind of uh, serendipity that it happens to be National Pawpaw Day because uh, on Tuesday, like I would have just overlooked this great national holiday and also not even known what it was. But somebody brought a couple to uh, trivia night at the at the brewery and uh, and I got to sample one. It's kind of like different people said different things. I, I thought it was kind of like a mix between like a mango and a pear. Yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. Little known fact about the pawpaw tree. It is the largest edible fruit tree native to North America. I'd recommend eating just the fruit, not the tree. Yes. <laughs> I did not know that. I didn't even know it was native. I thought when they brought it, I assumed it was this was like some, you know, crazy fruit that uh, they have to import from somewhere else. Had, had no idea. You don't see it at the grocery store. Yeah, my Google Foo is fast, and when you do a podcast, if you can Google faster than others, you can get fun facts out. 
Oh yeah, you can sound like a genius. I, I that's, <laughs> that's that's a skill worth developing. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> also joining us is the czar of zero trust, the captain of content, Katie Teitler. How are you, Katie? I'm well. I I have never had a pawpaw myself, and I'm wondering what it tastes like since you just recently tried it. Yeah, so so one of the regulars there uh, just has several pawpaw trees in his yard, you know, and he, he just I gathers mean, duh, them up. Of course, yeah. he doesn't. Right. <laughs> I don't think I've ever come across. I've I've lived here for well over thirty years, and I don't think I've ever come across pawpaws. So interesting. Yeah, and they're, I mean, good fruit, you know, tasted good. I, I don't know why they're not more popular. So I, I guess that's why somebody came up with a, a national holiday for pawpaws. Perhaps your show will evangelize the pawpaw. It will become this, the next big trend for 2023. This is the pawpaw tipping point right here, right now. We're right all experiencing here, right here now. <laughs> we'll see pawpaw smoothies, pawpaw pies. Uh, next thing you know, you'll be driving through Chick-fil-A and, and having a, a pawpaw smoothie, ordering a pawpaw smoothie. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, uh, the guy who has them in his yard, he brought a ton of them to the brewer at this brewery where we have trivia every Tuesday night. And uh, and the, the brewer there is going to make a beer out of them. He's going to turn them into beautiful, wonderful beer. All right, a few announcements here. Security Weekly listeners can save 20% on InfoSec World 2022 passes. InfoSec World will be held September 27th through the 29th at Disney's Coronado Springs Resort in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. So it's coming up very soon, just a couple weeks from today. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash ISW and use the code ISW22-SECWEEK20 to secure your spot now. I feel like we can make those codes easier, a little bit easier uh, for people to remember, especially just hearing this on audio. But uh, yeah, go to securityweekly.com forward slash ISW, and we probably have the code listed there, so you don't have to remember what I just said. All right, uh, for today's first interview, uh, we're talking about enterprise browsers, unicorns or trophy winners. It's a topic we've talked about a lot on the show. Uh, it kind of it felt like it came out of uh, left field, especially, you know, I, I think two of the big ones here uh, came out of stealth with $100 million in funding already. So uh, really caught our attention, and, and we've been talking about it ever, ever since. So I'm glad we have somebody uh, who writes on this topic. Uh, we've got Patty Harrington, who's a senior analyst from Forrester Research and, and covers this and some other areas in his, uh, his coverage there at Forrester. Patty spent a ton of time at Citrix before coming to Forrester, uh, so we'll talk about that a bit and how, that, uh, how that's a good background for this, uh, this particular topic. Uh, so obviously, he's very familiar with secure application delivery, VDI, and all that stuff. Uh, welcome, Patty. Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, so so let's uh, let's go ahead and start there. Uh, spent a lot of time with Citrix at Citrix. Uh, you know what? Why does that make a you know help us with you know maybe not everybody's familiar with what Citrix, uh, what kind of products they have, what what they do. You know, bring us up to you know why why Citrix is an interesting background for this conversation. Sure. So. A lot of people who know of Citrix know of them as the VDI company. Mm -hmm. they, they 
sort of revolutionized that world because they were doing it way back in the 90s. So before folks like VMware or even Microsoft or the Azure Virtual Desktop are doing the whole VDI thing, uh, Citrix was doing this with things like WinView and WinFrame and MetaFrame and the, the branding just gets weird from there. But one of the things that they did you know, as we're talking about browsers here, is a common use case for this whole VDI world was publishing a browser. So you now had a centrally controlled and delivered browser that you could uh, manage from one place and you didn't care what connected, you could deliver it to any endpoint and uh, it was all great stuff. Well, applications just getting, kept getting more webified, hate the term, but it fits. And this is where solutions like Netscaler came into the picture. So Citrix acquired Netscaler and their application delivery controller solution. So load balancing and all the other fun things you can do with websites. And from that time, that's where Citrix had to evolve to not only do the VDI stuff that everyone knew, but full application delivery. And all that application delivery stuff was all web-based. So they've been in an interesting you know, spot when it comes to getting applications out in the web. And as the solutions of zero trust network access started to grow and take hold and you know replace some of the VPN stuff that was out there, that was another thing that they picked up on. So and everyone else was doing it in the market as well. Folks like uh, Zscaler, for example, you know, and, and Zscaler, Zscaler was actually using their, their zero trust network access solution as a competition to folks like Citrix or VMware with their Horizon suite and stuff to say, mm -hmm. you don't need to centrally host a browser and you know, deliver it out virtually to users. Use our secure delivery solution with you know, ZTNA, whatever browser you have locally, then we'll control access to your web applications. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting space because there's so many different ways of trying to deliver on this. And also something we'll talk about are the use cases, you know, because that's that's uh, that's changed a bit over the years as well. And I, I kind of consider this the second, um, uh, kind of the 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 second round of uh, secure enterprise browser startups. You know, the first round we had back in like 20, 2013, 2015, You know, to 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 further help. Metaframe the conversation. Let, let's talk a bit about. Uh, are you familiar with those guys? Like, like the uh, authenticates and authenticate silo, like uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's I. I had heard of them briefly back in that period. I mean, so 2013, I was deep into the Citrix world. Um, I was God. I was a sales uh, sales engineering manager uh, here in the mm -hmm. Atlantic, and but, you know, I had heard them come up, but it was kind of one of those. Eh, you know, push it aside. Yeah, so so I can cover it real quick because I was actually uh, an industry analyst over at 451 Research, and this was one of the oh, areas okay. I covered because I covered endpoint security, and that, that was very much one of the use cases. One of the value props was, yeah. okay, so so your browser actually lives uh, in a, a cloud or a data center somewhere, and we're just going to stream the browser session to you. So if there's anything malicious in the browser session, it's going to be isolated to that data center. It's not going to get onto your desktop. It's not going to spread to the rest of your company. Yeah, and they made it easy to, to reset those sessions. You know, there, there was uh, a lot of the IP was like, how do we detect if there is something malicious uh, uh, embedded within the session? And then it's kind of like a... 
you know, like a lot of them went in slightly different directions there. Like, like uh, authenticate silo kind of turned into like uh, a threat hunting tool. So you could actually make your browser look like it was coming from different places around the world, much like, you know, people use these consumer VPNs today to view uh, geo-locked content and things like that. Uh, you know, in cases where as part of your research, you need to look like you're coming from somewhere else or you don't want to look like you're coming from uh, whatever company you're working for. You know, they, they threw in some of those features as well. But, you know, I think one of the things that prevented it from going mainstream was that these browsers were, were kind of um, created from the ground up. You know, they weren't as sturdy and compatible as the mainstream browsers, and, and they, they broke a lot of workflows. Like, if you wanted to print, you know, it was kind of a kludgy uh, workflow to get that done. You know, certain websites didn't work right. You know, like they were using off-the-shelf rendering engines, you know, but the, the interface looked totally different, you know, so people would have to relearn to use the interface. And I think that turned off a lot of folks. And at least that bit of it, it seems like the, the current uh, enterprise browsers we're seeing are, are not making those same mistakes. And, and not really going after the yeah. we protect you from malware use case as much, <laughs> or, or am I wrong in that? Well, that's the thing is they're they're trying to blend both of those worlds. And, okay. you know, so it's funny, the, the authenticate stuff, the more you talked about it, it, it started ringing in, in my head. I'm, I'm a little bit of an older person, so the memory doesn't work as well as it used to. Um, but, you know, we had seen that it, as in the Citrix world, and it was kind of one of those, well, we can do the exact same thing, you know. Um, and that probably spawned the whole remote browser isolation battle that just keeps evolving. What the, the modern enterprise browsers, what they're doing is they're taking away some of the compatibility issues because you know, we all know Chrome dominates. You know, mm -hmm. Chrome and Chromium dominate so much that the number two browser in the market, uh, Microsoft Edge, is built on Chromium now as opposed to a proprietary build that Microsoft did. So with that, the enterprise browsers, at least the, the current ones in the market, are all based off Chrome. You know, so it's using Chromium. So they're at an advantage than the predecessors in that they're not building their own stuff. They're using a common platform that the industry, if you will, has adopted, everyone except for, uh, for Apple. Um, so they can support the same applications. They can do all that great stuff. But you mentioned you know, the threat protection side. And I think this is where things get interesting because they have some capabilities of that. Or if you look at what like uh, Talon did, at RSA, what they announced, a partnership with CrowdStrike, right? So even though these are smaller companies, by and large, right, they don't have the history of some of these other folks, um, they're going to integrate with other threat protection solutions to be able to add on what the, they can do inside the browser and stuff that is, they just don't have the capacity to do inside of their company just because they don't have, you know, 10,000 people writing code and doing threat protection and threat hunting. Yeah, I, certainly they, they they've got the money to hire a significant <laughs> amount of people. Like like the the growth we're seeing in these companies, like some of the conversations we have is, you know, how, how logistically how do you even hire two hundred fifty people in, in in half a year for one of these security startups? It's it's incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, Island and Island and Talon are the two big ones that I hear about the most. Uh, I hear there there are some others that haven't come out of stealth yet. Uh, so we're we're gonna have more in this market. It'll be 
it's not going to be doesn't seem like it's going to be like Bromium and Invincia was in the past where you only had two players and then Invincia kind of pivoted onto the uh, next gen antivirus uh, route and then it was just Bromium which still exists we we actually had um, HP acquired them and we had somebody from HP on a a couple months ago we had a sponsored segment from them so that niche you know that needs the isolation or wants the isolation on uh, you know the system itself uh, clearly somebody's finding some value in that you know but this seems like it's intended to be more mainstream especially with the amount of money that they're pulling in but i'd be interested in your opinion to me it still feels like it's going to be a niche uh you know not something that you buy for your entire enterprise but maybe you know just specific people who are more targeted or you know have a need for more security maybe i don't know yeah it's an interesting market as you say because you know there's two main players in this space right who've become public there's a third who was there, but no one thought of it as an enterprise browser. And funny enough, that was also Citrix. So mm-hmm. Citrix, uh, a couple of years back, released what they called the Workspace Browser. And it was part of their Workspace app. And it was a way that they could launch these you know, zero trust network access applications, right? just the websites, through a more controlled browser. The initial releases of it were... were fairly basic and they could do some uh, some simple controls, but they've evolved it over time. And it does have a lot of full features. Now, they include it as part of their secure private access product, but it is technically, if you look at it and you compare it against uh, some of the stuff that Island and Talon are doing, it's roughly, it's roughly the same. This, all of them have different approaches to stuff, right? And different approaches to how they do disk en- or file encryption and uh, how they report back to the, the central control and stuff. Um, so it's, I think the, this market has some legs. And like you said, this may not be an enterprise-wide solution, but one of the use cases in talking with a, a client, um, of one of the customers, or one of the companies, excuse me, they think they may go enterprise-wide for use cases. So right now, one of the use cases is on contractor access, right? So sure, yeah, I've heard that ins- one a lot. Instead, yeah, so instead of giving them a, a corporate laptop, right, that they have to manage and control, since mm-hmm. all their applications are browser-based anyways, well, they give them just this browser. So now, you know, they've gone from shipping out hardware to Here's a browser. We can control the browser, control all the things inside of it, do a lot of nice little features and functions. Um, and if we want to get rid of you as a contractor, your contract is up or you've you know violated rules or whatnot, well, we just throw a switch off your account. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So, um, but they also see this as, well, what if we do the same thing for BYO? Right. Mm-hmm. Um and that's where I think it gets more interesting because BYO is has been blowing up over the last few years. I mean, I did a, a work on a report here at Forrester, uh, State of Endpoint Security, and one of the things found in doing the research in that is the majority of folks that we surveyed, right? These were IT decision leaders, um, said that they have BYO across the board. And what I mean is Windows, Mac. Uh, smartphones and all those things. Smartphones have been there for a while, but the Linux and uh, not the Linux, the Mac and Windows thing really surprised me. The the 
because it's not we're talking, you know, 51 percent. It's more than that. You know, and this was this was, you know, we'll say as, as recent research as, as we had. Um, so I'm interested to see what the latest 2022 data says. So with that, and if all of your applications are browser based, maybe this is the right solution for you. You know? Yeah. Um, but we're early. We are way early. It's we haven't even hit the one year since Talon came out of stealth. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the websites, it lo- it's kind of a laundry list of like, here's all the <laughs> things we could do with this technology. It's like, oh, okay, but you're like, I don't know if you're going to do all that stuff. Like some of that sounds uh, a little ambitious or, you know, it, it, it seems like even them, you know, with these products, they're still trying to figure out what that market fit is, right? Like what, yeah, what features... Yeah. What, what that killer feature is going to be to really lock them in with, with an enterprise customer for m- multi-years. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the use cases I've heard um, them talk about is removing VDI. Oh, you can get rid of VDI when you do this. Oh, as well, a replacement? ZTNA, yeah, yeah. The ZTNA players have been saying the same thing, and it's across the board. They've all been saying this. The problem is not all applications are web-based. And yeah. that's a major use case for VDI solutions. Horizon, Citrix, like I said, Azure yeah. Virtual Desktop. It's those applications that have to be installed. Well, a browser, okay, maybe it can get you access into the VDI solution, right? So it gives you additional control to other websites that you're going to deliver plus the VDI. But for those use cases, you're not going to blow out your VDI solution. It's just not going to happen. Um, yeah. So I appreciate it, but yeah, you know, you're not going to be able to rip out a lot of these enterprise VDI deployments because of why they're using it. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I was talking about how I covered enterprise uh, security products and I was there when the whole next gen AV movement started, you know, where, where silence and Sentinel one and, and uh, CrowdStrike were the, were the big ones. And for a long time, they couldn't replace uh, traditional um, uh, enterprise protection suites, you know, traditional AV. So that was the question for me, you know, that, that I'm sure they got sick of me asking is, okay, but when are you going to replace Symantec and McAfee and, and all these uh, traditional players? And, and But back then, it, it was very clear that that was going to have to happen eventually. They were eventually going to have to put together all those EPP features that would allow them to fully replace a Symantec because a lot of companies just couldn't afford um you know, and certainly you didn't want to run side by side too many of these endpoint security agents, you know, and, and pay for both of them long term. Uh, but you needed to do something because people were just getting AV wasn't catching stuff. People were getting hit pretty hard. But um, but yeah, here it's less clear to me. So so maybe share some other examples of features and, and use cases, you know, st- stuff I can't do with maybe a Citrix or a uh, or, or maybe they're. There's more feature parity than that, but you know, are they doing any interesting stuff that that jumped out at you? That oh, that's cool. That's something I can't do right now with with what I've got. Yeah, and I think this is where it gets interesting because one of the the detractions people may throw at them is, well, I have Chrome and I'm managing Chrome or Edge and I'm managing Edge, right? So I've got all those great tools inside there. Why do I need you? I'm already doing browser management. The thing is, Chrome and Edge, Safari, whatever, they don't have some of the features. One of them that is really nice, it's the screen and you know keyboard protection, right? So protecting against screen grabbers, 
potentially even mm-hmm. Zoom, right? Uh, or a, a keylogger in the background. Now, people can say, well, you know, okay, hey, I have an agent I can run on the endpoint that can do that, right? And, and there are some uh, solutions out there. Sentry Bay has a solution that does that. That's fine. But this is inside the browser, right? So you don't need an additional agent. And it's per application, meaning per tab. So you're in one okay. tab, you've got it open, and you're trying to share that tab in a team meeting. Mm-hmm. You mistakenly click on another tab, and it's a financial application. Well, the screen protection is applied on the second tab. And it so prevents you from you making find... that mistake. Exactly. And I think that's a key use case when you think of delivering secure applications to your entire user base. Um, you know, a person who has access to those financial data, you can really say, lock it down, turn on all those fun features and protections. They can't download out of that application. They can download out of another one, but they can't download out of that. And these are some things that without, you know, a dozen dozen extensions that you have to keep and maintain from various companies, you're not going to get that out of a Chrome or an Edge or or straight Safari. Yeah, and the thing I, you know, so I'm always thinking of, uh, okay, where is this going to fall down? Where is this going to break? And and I'm I'm reminded of the uh, application control when that was real big in, in the late 2000s. Um, you know, everybody was saying, oh, you, you know, we'll just uh, lock down, you know, like only this list of applications can run and then malware doesn't work anymore. You know, super easy. <laughs> and just not thinking about the management nightmare that would create. And once we start talking about like, okay, this this tab has these controls, you know, this is an enterprise app, th- this tab has these controls. Again, you, you've got management overhead there, I imagine that that you're gonna have to take into account when configuring this thing for these for these different use cases. Like Caspi, when it came out, it was the same thing. It was amazing what was possible with Caspi. Uh, but most of the customers I talked to that were early adopters that were using it, you know, were barely able to use 1% of the product because they, they just didn't have the time to dream up the use cases, to implement the use cases, you know, and, and, and put all this into, uh, uh, you know, make the dream real, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny enough, it goes back to, you know, since we started this, a lot of this talk around VDI things and, and Citrix, um, some of the early implementations that I did way back, you know, when I was a junior button pusher, um, we did an, an install for an insurance company and we started with one application in one division. And, you know, by the time um, that insurance company got bought by someone else, we had it across multiple departments and divisions. The application list blew up. We went from one to, I think, 50 or 60, you know, and I think this could be a play for that. Obviously, we're going to have to see how it matures and how it grows out. But when you start with, you know, like I said, that customer who is doing it for contractor access, and it's really specific mm-hmm. contractors, that gives it a starting point. And it's these early adopters that lets them try it out. Is this going to work for us broad, you know, long term? And can we really make this something? And they'll figure it out. I, I don't think this is going to be by you know, the end of next year, they're going to have everyone in the Fortune 500 wall to wall, and it's all going to be fantastic. This is going to be a process as it, it kind of works itself out. And if if it, a few more players enter the market, I think if there's other people who get involved in this, who see value in, in this and customers start showing, yeah, we really like what this can do. That's when I think this starts to take off. If it stays in this, 
two, three, four, eh, it'll be a niche product for a while. And yeah. maybe they'll get acquired by a Google and all the features will be incorporated in. Yeah. And I, I just, um, I think we have to be really careful with this one, you know, cause as I'm scrolling through the websites, you know, looking at their examples and things like that. And even one you shared with me that I found really compelling and interesting, uh, uh, they're just all kinds of opportunities for, for foot gunning for, for breaking business processes here. Cause a lot of it's oh, yeah. based on actively preventing people from doing things like copying and pasting, you know, a, a lot of, workflows are going to be very dependent on copying and pasting. I, I remember when banks started preventing you from pasting into fields, you know, and all of a sudden your password managers don't work anymore. Like, like that was a big, <laughs> a big pain for people. And, um, you know, cause like I have my password manager generate this crazy 30 character password. Uh, and, and now I have to type it in manually cause my bank is, is protecting me by not letting me paste into the password field. You know, the, those types of situations. And and the one that you, uh, I, I think you were talking about that I found interesting is that you can, these browsers can encrypt a file that you download so that only, it can only be read in the browser. You know, so you, yeah. you can't then slap it onto a flash drive or something like that. And, you know, so so the, the file is useful. You know, already I'm using my web browser as my PDF viewer anyway. So that that yeah. seems like one of those things that could be really, really uh, useful, you know, but then you have to yeah. be careful, you know, that now your CEO can't close a deal because they can't they can't download something as a PDF and, and mail it to the to the prospect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's some you can also see some reasons to do that for preventing malware. Right. So in a PDF, for example, if someone tried to embed malware in the PDF. And that happens, that's a common attack vector really. Um, okay, this is a great way that you can't run it outside of the browser and infect your machine. But if you look at some of the other RBI-based solutions, right, there are the remote browser isolation solutions out there, some of them can do DOM rendering. In part of the DOM rendering, they will also re-render PDFs, Word docs, Excel files, now that can also break functions in those apps, but at the same time, mm -hmm. they can render out that malware. So, you know, it's it's a benefit and I like it. I like what it can do. And they take different approaches to it, right? Talon, Island, they do different things in how they're encrypting. But like I said, how much of the process is it going to break? Is that a good or bad thing? Because you don't want them going outside the process, but we all know users... Users go out of the process because they just want to get the work done and you're yeah. impeding them. So. Yeah. 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 And that's a, that's a tough one too. I imagine they're going to have to come up with some solution to prevent people from doing that. You know, maybe you have an enterprise application that only works if you access it through talent or something like that or, or through Island. So it'll be interesting well, yeah, to I mean, see how. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can do that with, with some of the DNS workers and things of that nature. So you can force it to say, oh, you're trying to access this application from, you know, a Chrome variant or something, you know, Brave. And it says, no, you have to go through the Talon browser. Yeah. Here's the link for it. And please download it. Yeah, yeah. So I understand you have some reports coming out uh, or you've got a report coming out on uh, particularly this space. Yeah, so it's it's a report on just browser security in the Anywhere workspace. And mm. it's been interesting digging into it because we're looking into 
the IE, the enterprise browsers, looking into RBI and some of the, the fun stuff that that's been going on with and how that's changed, as well as looking at some of the other ways to secure the browser. You're talking local isolation in the past, right, with, with Bromium. Well, Hisolate is a solution that was doing something similar of local isolation. They got picked up by Perception Point. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're trying to provide some insight into all these solutions for our customers so they've got a general understanding of what this all does and give them some recommendations on the best use cases for all of this. As an industry analyst should, you know, that, that was one of my favorite <laughs> things about that job was, you know, like I naturally want to click all the things, try out all the things, understand how things work. Um, you know, so I'm, I was already doing that work for, for my own curiosity. So, you know, I, I learned that there was a job where you, you get paid to do that for others. So <laughs> worked know, out really well. Really for cool? me. It is. It's a very <laughs> cool gig. Yeah. All right, uh, Patty, thank you so much for joining us on Enterprise Security Weekly today. Cool. Thanks, Adrian. All right, and stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to talk Microsoft identity security issues with Sean Metcalf from Trimark. <laughs> 